book of Daniel, every word all year, the book of Daniel. Been going through, and honestly, as you go through every word all year, you read and you read along, and there's so much that you just know you're not getting, right? I mean, there's so much, and the, the volume, the sheer volume in God's word, and the details, and the and, and, and all the things there are to understand and comprehend, and you know, it's just a, almost this feeling like I'm in the shower, and, and you know, it, the water's hitting me, but I don't know what to, and, and sometimes you just want to soak in the tub, you know, and just say, Lord, in Jesus' name, can I just soak in something? That's how Daniel felt to me. Because it was coming back to so many of those old favorites and old friends of mine that I know from childhood. I was, I was reading a thing that Stephanie had given me, this, this really interesting book, and I can't wait to read the rest of it. But just the very first page, it says this. It says, when Scripture comes alive in our hearts, it doesn't inform us as much as it transforms us. As I read, I'm discovering that faith isn't about becoming good, it's about, it's about coming, becoming godly characters in a greater story. Somehow words on a flat page become the passageway to living encounters with ancient saints and sinners and with a God who was and is and ever will be. And that's how it felt to go back and visit with my friend Daniel. I, I'm reading through Daniel and I'm, I'm finding all those old favorites, you know, about, about the guy who defies the king and eats right and God shows up, God delivers. I'm reading about, uh, about the guy who interprets the dreams when no one else can, but it's not because he's so smart, it's because God is so good and, you know, he's saved from the sword. And reading about, you know, the three amigos being thrown into the fiery furnace seven times hotter and I can't read that story without picturing those guys bound hand and foot and the seven guys who are supposed to be throwing them into the furnace are all killed because it's heated so much hotter and couldn't they have just couldn't they have hopped away you know instead of hopping into the furnace you know and I just, I just I'm just telling you these are these are thoughts I've had since boyhood when I hear these stories but as I'm reading through Daniel this go-round I had this picture in my head of, you, you, you know those friends that you get together with, and even though it's been years since you've been with them, it's like no time has passed at all. And they're the friends that have shared those moments with you, those, oh, beep moments, you know? Those moments when it could have gone the other way, but it didn't. God showed up. Those moments where... You know, you, you come together. These are the guys. These are the guys when they come to the class reunion, they're not mingling with everybody else because everybody else is still a bunch of losers. They're still the good guys, right? <laughs> these are the guys that. These are the guys that when you get together at these things, um, they're the, and and you know that it's not just big events and happy events like family reunions or class reunions or things like that. Uh, all too often, all too often, it's funerals. You know, when, when one of the guys in the group, and everybody's there because you got to be there because you're there, right? And they're the ones that laugh at all the right moments in the service because they know the rest of the story, right? They're, 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 the, ones, they're the ones who are beside their friend in every one of the photos there. They're the ones as they leaf through, as they leaf through the scrapbooks, they say, oh, I remember that one, Right? 
There's a story behind that picture. They're the ones. They're the ones. I, I'm, reading through, I'm reading through Daniel, and it, and it starts at the beginning, which is a pretty good place to start if you're going to be in a story, right? I'm reading through it, and, and it, it, it just goes all the way back to the beginning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. And, and those he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put in the treasure house of his God. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, the, the court, uh, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, without any physical defect, handsome young men, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, and well-informed and quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's court. You read that, and then you read along, and you realize, wait a minute. It never occurred to me when I was a kid. But these guys were prisoners of war. And you read it through the lens of a grown adult who's aware of what's going on in the world, and you realize, wait a minute. This, this could be Syrian refugees we're writing about. These, these guys... These guys could have gotten snagged in the Ukraine and dragged back somewhere against their will. And all I knew of them before was, you know, flannel graph stories in vacation Bible school. And you read about, you read about these guys and you realize, you know, there's, so, so here's, here's the thing. I just jotted down a couple of ideas as we were coming to this time. I, I jotted down a couple of ideas. Like, for instance, I mean... Uh, what do you do when you don't know how life is going to turn out? How do you, how do you approach it when, when um, you really don't know how life is going to turn out and you feel like you're kind of making it up as you go along? What do you do when you're in uncharted territory and you don't have a map? A friend of mine, he said, he said in those times when you don't have a map, you've got to rely on your compass. And I want to invite you into that idea because I think there are some people here today in some of those even if chapters of life. You know, when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got to that place where they said, you know, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we still won't bow. That's compass talk. That's not, that's not map talk. That's compass talk, right? And when you get to a place where, for instance, as it says, as it says in the first chapter, of Daniel, I'm just going to walk you through this until we get to where we're going to land. But, but as you walk through in, in the first chapter of Daniel, you know, the king is saying, okay, we're going to feed them our food. We're going to give them choice food and wine. You know why they were doing that to these prisoners of war? You know what they were doing? They were trying to brainwash these guys. They were trying to get these guys to say, our allegiance is to the one who, who gives us these choice food and the, and the best wine. Our allegiance goes to the guy who feeds our appetite. So let's feed their appetites to get them dependent on us. And there was something in Daniel. There's this line in chapter, chapter 1, verse 8, where it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself in this way. That's compass talk. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. That, that's compass talk. And you remember the story, how, how he says, you know, let us, let us just eat, you know, vegetables and water. Let's, let's eat the, the fresh produce as close to how God made it as we can. And, and let's see if we can't be healthier, you know. And you may read that and you say, well, it's just, you know, it's just, you know, a diet thing. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe I would be a wiser man if I lived that way as well. And maybe the example of how 10 days eating right 
left a mark that anybody could see if they cared to notice. They were noticeably better than the rest. But, but it's because there was a resolve. Daniel, was make, he didn't have a map for this. He was making this up as he goes along. But he did have a compass. And he resolved not to defile himself. And the outcome, the outcome, you know, so these four young men, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, to the untrained, if you didn't go to seminary, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All right? That was supposed to be funny. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. Anyway, so, so he, the, in fact, as I was reading this in the New Living Translation, as I was reading it, it says there was nobody. He, they, they were ten times better, ten times better than everybody else, none equal to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters. And then it says, And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And you may not have picked up on this, but, but that's 66 years from day one until Daniel retired. 66 years. And over time, you know, you know, you know how life kind of separates you out. So I'm picturing, I'm picturing these these four guys getting together. You know, Daniel and his buddies, and they're coming together at some kind of some kind of encounter, some kind of event, and they're looking back at the 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 pictures from their lives. You know, I remember that day. That's the day we graduated. I remember that day. That's the day we got promoted. I remember that day. That's the day. It seems to me that there are three kinds of pictures that show up at events like that. There are graduation moments, there are promotional moments, and there are the days that we barely survived and we were so happy somebody had to snap a picture, right? Like, like we climbed the mountain and they got our picture at the top, right? We, one of, one of, the, the buddies of mine dared us, and we all decided, and we couldn't back down. We had to jump out of an airplane perfectly good with a parachute. But we survived, and so they got a picture of us with these big dumb grins after it was all over because nobody was killed in the process. And those kind of pictures, I picture these four guys, these four guys kind of thin on top and thick in the middle, remembering a lifetime of times when God showed up. But you couldn't know that God showed up until you were looking in the rearview mirror. So for instance, that time, that time when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, but he was so suspicious of everybody that he wouldn't tell anybody what it was, but he demanded that they tell him what it meant. And everybody was scared, and, and Nebuchadnezzar was ready to chop everybody's head off. And Daniel went to his friends and he said, Daniel returned to his house and he explained the matter to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of all those wise men in Babylon. And they prayed and God showed up. I mean, they had a sword hanging over their heads. And God showed up and he told them not only the dream, but what it meant. And here's what, here's what Daniel said. Praise be to the name of God 
forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and and light dwells with him. And he says, I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given wisdom and power. You've made known what we've asked of you. God showed up. But you couldn't know it going into it. You didn't have a map. All you had was a compass. But when you look back at the pictures, you say, wow, God, you showed up. God showed up. Well, I want to take you, I want to take you specifically to the one with the fiery furnace. And we, maybe you've heard this story a hundred times. Forgive me if it's all too familiar. But, but there's the story of when King Nebuchadnezzar, and by the way, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he, 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 ends, he ends better than he begins, but he's kind of full of himself. And, and there's this thing in his heart, you know, and, and this, this happens. This happens when nobody speaks truth to power. I mean, he began to think he was more important than he really was. He began to think, he began to believe his press clippings, right? And so Nebuchadnezzar was going to build this, this statue, 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and, and, and the, the deal was, gather everybody together, and when the music begins to play, the harps, the lyres, the trumpets, all, when, it, when the music begins to play, everybody, everybody hit the ground and worship this statue that I've made, which, by the way, is a statue of myself, and you're not just worshiping this gold pillar, you're worshiping me. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it just didn't quite set right for them. They didn't, have a, they didn't have a map for this. They didn't have a chart for it. They didn't, have, they didn't have a prearranged script for it. But they just knew there was something not right. That there is a God. And I'm not him. And by the way, Nebuchadnezzar, neither are you. And I'm not going to bow down and worship. And so, so everybody's standing. The music starts to play. Everybody just, just sucks dirt. And there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's hard to hide when you're the only guy standing up, right? Isaiah had this line about, about a hut in a cucumber field. You can't hide in a hut in a cucumber field. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there they stand. There's no missing it. And the king was furious. I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you one more chance. If you don't bow down and worship, you're going to go into the fiery furnace and no one will survive that. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and, and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not, I'll be you will be thrown in immediately into a blazing furnace. And then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And that's always the question, right? What God is going to fix this for you? What God is going to deliver you from this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come to this line. It's one of my favorite lines. In Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they reply to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. I love this next line. 
But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold, the image of gold that you have set up. Our God is able, and our God is able. And you know how you know it? Because you got a compass in your pocket. You don't have a map for it. You don't have, you don't have a chart for the course that, that takes you through the doctor's office when the diagnosis is the C word, right? By the way, who knew that the C word would grow to include COVID as well for some of the people we've loved and who have not survived it? But there's no chart for that. There's no map for that. There's no, there's no script for you to have. You just got a compass in your pocket that says God has shown up before. God has delivered us before. And the God who was faithful then can be faithful now. God's got a plan for my life. In fact, God's got a plan for my life that extends beyond my days. And the compass in my pocket says that, that God's plan for my life is not just in, in calendars, but also in eternity. And I can trust that and I can hope in that. And God's got a plan for my life. But precious ones, even if he does not, God is able to deliver us. God is able to show up. God is able to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God is able to make all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is able to do much more than I can see or ask or imagine. God is able. And even if he does not... I still won't bow. And the reason I wanted to land here and sort of camp out on this for a minute is because I know there are people in this room right now who are in one of those even if he does not kind of moments. I was talking to a precious friend this morning. The diagnosis just came back. The radiation starts next week. She's in one of those even if he does not kind of moments. I've got a precious friend. You know him too. When the baby was delivered, everything was not the way they hoped. They prayed. Does it call who God is into question? You bet it does. But you still got a compass in your pocket, right? And we are the ones, we are the ones who have this, even if he does not, kind of faith. Even when it's put to the test. And that day it was put to the test. Some of you are here today. Some of you are here today so that you can offer that back to God and say, Lord, you know that prayer request I've got that seems unlikely? Well, I went to church last Sunday. In fact, I don't know if you're counting God, but I've been at church for the last four Sundays in a row. And it's been the first time in years that I've done that. God, doesn't that count for something? That's going by a map, not a compass. Some of you are here this morning and you're in one of those even if he does not kind of moments. You're telling yourself, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do all the right things and maybe she'll come back. I'm going to do all the right things and maybe they won't foreclose. I'm going to do all the right things and maybe the diagnosis will be mysteriously reversed. Maybe the judge will change his mind. I'm going to do all the right things and God, if you're really God, and God, if you really love me, God, you're going to show up. But this story from my childhood, and maybe from yours too, 
teaches us a different kind of relationship with an even-if-he-does-not kind of God. The God who doesn't always give maps, but who always gives compasses. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have died that day. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, heated seven times hotter than it had ever been before. In fact, the, the guys who were going to throw them in, they perished on the way. That's how hot it was. But Nebuchadnezzar looks and he says, didn't we throw three men into the fiery furnace? And now I look and there are four men. And they're walking around. They're having a little party in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar comes as close as he dares without being consumed himself by the fire. And he calls them out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my friends, come out, come out. And there's a fourth man in the fire who looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar says, God shows up. God shows up. Well, as I said, those kinds of get-togethers where old friends come together and remind each other of when God showed up, they're they're class reunions or family reunions or retirement parties or whatever the case may be. But, but all too often, those get-togethers are funerals. You know, and you got the pictures laid out on the table. You got the scrapbooks laid out. And you begin to reminisce and recollect about what happened and when and what the backstory was. I don't know. This, this, this was rattling around in my head. I mean, it's just, this is just sanctified imagination. Well, maybe it's not all that sanctified, but just suppose, just suppose Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, maybe they haven't seen each other for 40 years. Maybe life has sort of scattered them to the winds and they gather for the funeral of an old friend. Let's just say for the sake of my story. It's Nebuchadnezzar's funeral. We know that they outlived Nebuchadnezzar. We know that Nebuchadnezzar was young and immature when they were young and immature, and he grew through his life and his career, same as they did. Let's just say they get together as old friends, and they're at a funeral for Nebuchadnezzar. And you know, the big question at every funeral is, did he know Jesus? That's the big question. Was he okay? Is he going to go to heaven when he dies? What's, what's the deal? And by the way, this is not even part of the sermon, but I'll give this to you for free. The best gift that you can give to the people you love, the best gift that you can give to the people that you love when it's your turn and it's your funeral, is let them know that you know that you know Jesus. The best gift that you can give to the people you love is to leave them not wondering for one minute whether you need Jesus. You remember a couple years ago, we were encouraging people to try to write out their testimony. Just, here's how I came to know Jesus. Here's what my life was like before I knew Jesus. Here's how I came to know Jesus. And here's what my life has been like since then. Just a little testimony, just a, just a written testimony. In fact, get to where you could do it almost like an elevator pitch. You know, you know that, that line from Peter, always be ready to give a reason to anyone who asks for the hope that you profess. Here's, here's my deal. Here's how I came to know Jesus. Well, you know what? We've got that. We've got that in the book of Daniel, none other than for, Nehemiah, for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar himself, in chapter 4, begins to write out his own, 
his own testimony. Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations of the peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. This isn't Daniel talking anymore. This is not some, some mysterious narrator. Nebuchadnezzar is telling his own story. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders, his kingdom is eternal. His dominion endures from generation to generation. And then he says this in, in, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Here's what my life was like before I came to know Jesus. Before I came to know Jesus, I had everything I needed. Every, I had everything I wanted. I kind of had an anxiety problem. Nothing Xanax couldn't fix. And I kind of had some issues, but I had some counselors around me. But, but for the most part, I was prosperous and I was contented. My life was going along just fine. Thank you very much. And then I had a dream. I had a dream of a huge tree. And it was, it was a huge tree. And the birds of the air would, would nest in its branches. And the, the wild beasts would, would take refuge under its, under its shade. And and people would come and they would eat the fruit of the tree. It was a beautiful tree. It was a huge tree. It was a, it was a great tree. But at some point, somebody came and cut down my tree. And they put a steel band around the trunk of what was left of my tree. And the, the dew from heaven fell on my tree. And for seven seasons, for seven periods of time, for seven years... My tree was just cut down. And I had this dream. And I was, I was, it was wild and it was, it was unkempt. And I was, I was wandering and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't know what the dream meant. And so he called Daniel in. Belteshazzar, he called Daniel in. He says, tell me what my dream means. And Daniel, Daniel prays. He prays and he says, he says oh, I wish this, I wish this dream was for any one of your enemies instead of for you. But oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you got a problem. You've got a problem. In, in, in chapter 4, he tells the story. Belteshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies instead of to you. If only it applied to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all and giving shelter to the wild animals, having nesting places in its branches for the birds, your majesty. You are that tree. And you have become great and strong and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, is the decree of the most high. Against my Lord, you will be driven away. You will live with the wild animals. You'll eat grass like an ox and be drenched with dew from heaven. Seven times will pass until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Here's a question that I invite you to reframe. If you're in one of those even if moments, here's a question. Is there anyone who's watching your life that needs to see how you respond in even if moments? Is there anyone 
Is there anyone? I mean, maybe the even if moment is not even for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's for your spouse, God forbid, right? You say, Lord, in Jesus' name, deliver the one I love from this, from this moment. Maybe, God forbid, it's for your kids. Lord, in Jesus' name. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's your grandkids. And your, Lord, in Jesus' name, deliver them, right? Is there anyone who's watching you in those even-if moments, like, ne- like Nebuchadnezzar might have been watching Daniel, like Nebuchadnezzar might have been watching Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Daniel says this to him. He says, Your Majesty, please accept my advice. Advice is a dangerous thing. Even from a friend to a friend, advice can be a dangerous thing. He says, Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Your prosperity may continue. I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life when somebody you loved, somebody, somebody that you had gone through life with, and you maybe come to one of those moments and you say, you know, I don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever actually been clear with you about the most important thing about my life and my relationship with God through Jesus. And we've known each other for years, but maybe I've never shared with you the fact that the defining relationship in my life is with Jesus. Maybe there comes a time in your life with people that you genuinely care about to say, you know what? I owe you an apology. Because after all we've been through together, I've never told you this. And Daniel says, Your Majesty, may Your Majesty be pleased to accept my advice. I'm going to take a risk. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. Well, here's the deal. Daniel took the risk. Nebuchadnezzar didn't change. He just kept right on going like he was going. And one day, all this happened. All this happened 12 months later as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace. He said, Is not this great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and the glory for my majesty? Is not this the greatest place in the earth? And there was a voice from heaven that says, this is what is decreed for you. And it went just like the dream, just like Daniel had said. And at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal. His kingdom endures. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does what He pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back His hand or say to Him, what have you done? See, the thing is, if I was Daniel... If I was Daniel, I think I would have been asking the what have you done question when I was ripped from my home and taken as a prisoner of war and never got to return. God, what have you done? I think I would have been asking the what have you done question if I was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and saying, Lord, I did the right thing. I stood when everybody else crumbled. When everybody else folded, I stood What have you done? 
Why did I find myself in the fiery furnace? But here's the thing. You don't know till the rearview mirror who else is watching. And who else needs to see what it looks like for somebody like you to live by a compass when you run out of map? And Nebuchadnezzar, he tells a different story at the end of his life. And I think it's because of what he had seen when he had said, Daniel, your God is a great God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is a high king above all gods. But now, finally, at the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar is saying this. Nebuchadnezzar is saying, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, chapter 4, verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, that'd be me, he is able to humble. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a minute? If you find yourself in an even-if moment, here's a thought. Maybe you're not in the even-if moment for yourself. Maybe you're in the even-if moment for somebody else. Maybe you're in the even-if moment for somebody that you love that needs to see how somebody like you holds on to their compass when they run out of map. Maybe you find yourself in an even-if moment for somebody you love. 